This is Brian the Dr. Doherty, the head coach at Springside Chestnut Hill Academy, and you are listening to More Than a Club podcast. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Delay. Welcome back to the More Than a Club podcast for episode 10 of season two. I'm your co-host, Bill Leahy, along with Coach Marty Cuprian, and we are thrilled to introduce you to our newest episode, as I think we have another fabulous show ahead. Thanks, Bill. As we get started today, man, am I grateful for the 21 spring lacrosse season that is now officially here. As a high school coach working through the Winter League against some top local teams, and then seeing the return of college lacrosse and all over social media, it's great to see the opportunity to have these kids back on the field again. For all of our stakeholders, players, parents, coaches, thank you for doing whatever it takes for us to safely return to play in these strange times. Go Blue Hens. Today, we will take a slight turn from our usual show outline. We've been cruising through lacrosse guests, which have included famous players like Matt Rambo and Brian Silcott, and a host of collegiate coaches, including Taylor Ray, Steve Colfer, and Brian Volker. We've even ventured a bit to the edge of the lacrosse when on Veterans Day, we hosted Ryan Mannion of the Travis Mannion Foundation. But we thought for today's show, we would double back a bit and explore the history of Philadelphia lacrosse, our own Philly special episode. The places, the people, the great players, the best teams, and memorable games, which have brought us to this current place and time. There is no better person in Philadelphia to help us take this journey than my old friend, lacrosse junkie, US, US lacrosse servant, and Haverford School fan, than Chris Hupp Hupfeld. We are thrilled and honored to have him join us today. Welcome. Hupp. Thank you both. It's great to be here. I'm honored. I've known you since 1992, and you've been really great to me, Hupp, over all these years. I remember calling you from my dorm room in Loyola, asking if I could try out for the Eagles Eye Lacrosse Club so that you would join us here today is just a thrill for me personally. Again, you know, thank you. Um, I think it's a very interesting topic. There, there's a lot of information, a lot of stories. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, tell the history as best I can. So for all the good people out there who've not been as privileged as I, to know Hop, let me give you a brief summary. Baltimore native, went to the legendary boys Latin school for eight years, then boarding school at Blue Ridge School in Virginia, graduating in 1973. There he was team captain and earned all league honors as an attackman. Those honors led him to D3 Powerhouse Washington College and then to the Eastern Shore and Eagles Eye Lacrosse Club of the USCLA. From here, his service to the game and as a very influential Philadelphia area representative really took off. After his playing career ended, he moved on to the GM role. First, as general manager of the Eagles Eye Lacrosse Club, which then merged with the MAB Lacrosse Club. The success of these two clubs granted Cup the opportunity to become vice president of the USCLA and then president from 1992 to 1998. As if that wasn't enough, in 1998, Chris was then selected as assistant GM of the gold medal winning U.S. men's national team then promoted to U.S. men's team GM in 2002 and 2006, earning another gold medal, followed by a silver medal, and then the 2006 International Lacrosse Federation Spirit of Lacrosse Award for Team USA, which honors a team member from each international team 
that best served his country. After Chris's U.S. international team leadership, he served on the U.S. Lacrosse International Committee and then the Board of Directors and Chair of the U.S. Men's National Team Committee until 2014. We would be remiss if we did not double back and mention Chris's coaching career for a bit. Germantown Academy in the early 1980s and then a long and distinguished stint as an Ashby youth lacrosse coach from 2004 to 2011, where he led his teams to multiple Southeastern Pennsylvania youth lacrosse championships. He was then awarded the Ashby Service Award of his longstanding service to the community. And as if all of this is not enough, he was ultimately honored at the highest level in the area by being inducted to the Eastern Pennsylvania chapter of the U.S. Lacrosse Hall of Fame in 2015, signifying his long unselfish service to the game we all love. Chris, all this amazing service is pretty incredible. What did we miss? Well, uh, listen, there's a lot there. And, uh, you know, I'm very honored and grateful to have had the many experiences I've had. Um, I've enjoyed them. I've learned a lot. Um, there were a lot of challenges to deal with along the way. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up loving lacrosse. I mean, that was the whole key for me, having a passion and the drive to, you know, stay involved and, and do whatever I could do to um, handle my responsibilities. What are you up to today? Today, um, you know, I'm, I'm not overly involved with lacrosse. Uh, I am a board member of the Philadelphia Lacrosse Association. Um, I serve on the on the golf outing committee uh, with Scott Growney, who's the chair. Scott does an amazing job with our annual golf outing. Um, we typically raise um, fifteen to twenty thousand a year, and and that is money that we donate to uh, New Start programs, either at the youth level or the high school level. So uh, it's an important event. We have a great following. Um, I am also the chair of our capital campaign committee. So I'm, I'm on the hunt to raise money uh, for our chapter so that we can continue to support our initiatives. And um, thirdly, uh, along with Bill Leahy, I'm a member of the Southeastern Pennsylvania Hall of Fame committee. Yeah, it's a great experience. Thanks for including me. Let's not forget your sons, having had to coach against them, very talented young men at the Haverhill School. So you get your moment to be uh, proud here, Dad. Well, thank you. Um, listen, um, again, I grew up loving lacrosse. And uh, when, when I had my first son, who's now uh, 28, I was like, gosh, you know, I hope he likes sports, right? I, I was worried a little bit that maybe he wouldn't. Um, the first word that came out of his mouth was ball, right? He, he knew that word before dad and mom. That's a good the, sign. That's the, a good it sign. was a good sign. I felt good about that. And uh, he loved balls. And um, so he, he was a, a great little kid growing up. Um, he started to play lacrosse in third grade in the Ashby program. My younger son, Riley, two years younger, um, same thing he he loves sports right from the get-go and uh so he played in the ashby program and and both boys you know had a wonderful experience they they had um 
some great coaching. Uh, Bob Mongalusi and Jason Christmas were were outstanding. Um, you know, they knew the game. They had a, a very positive coaching style, and uh, they made kids, you know, be the best players they could be. So Ashby was was a really fun experience. You know, I helped out as a coach as well. So we're going to devoid here from our usual outline where we have a section for parents and a section for coaches, and we're going to do our own Hupfelt sections, which I'm thrilled about because I had a lot of fun laying out your show. And our first section here is kind of a regress to the 70s. Like, this is your life, Hup. We're going to retread back a little bit to your youth. So can we go back and talk about being a Baltimore native like, like myself? Absolutely. Um, I grew up in an area called Roland Park, um, suburbs of, of Baltimore City. Um, I literally lived five minutes away from the Johns Hopkins campus on University Parkway. Um, my dad was a lacrosse player. He was class of 44 at Boys Latin, played lacrosse, went to the University of Virginia, um, graduated in 1951. He was on the lacrosse team at Virginia for four years. So, um, you know, our family, um, my twin sister and uh, younger sister, younger brother, um, grew up loving Virginia. My dad was a big Wahoo fan. He loved lacrosse. You know, he had like seven or eight, you know, wooden lacrosse sticks in the closet. And, um, so it was easy for me to, you know, have an interest in lacrosse. Um, one of the things that I did, because I lived so close to Johns Hopkins, um, I would just tell, tell my mom, look, I'm, I'm going to Hopkins. Um, you know, I'll be back in a few hours. I'm going to be a ball boy. Hopkins is playing Navy today, Maryland today, Virginia today. And I would show up, and um, one of the coaches would, would assign me, like, go to that go behind that goal, here are like six balls, make sure you give them back to me at the end of the game, right? So, like, I loved being a ball boy, and, and I, I got to see, like, really great lacrosse at an early age. Um, there's a player named Joe Cowan, who went to friend school in Baltimore, a fantastic attackman, fantastic. Um, later became a Hopkins coach for probably like 20 20 plus years. Um, the one player I will never forget is a guy named Jimmy Lewis. He played for Navy. Um, Navy in the mid 60s, they were fantastic. They won like four or five straight national championships. And Jimmy Lewis was from Long Island. He was a little guy, but he was so quick, so fast. And he was the first person, first lacrosse player to ever cradle with one hand and he he was really fun to watch everyone knew him um i went up to him after the game and i said do you mind if can i just try your helmet on he's like it's so sweaty and gross i said i don't care um so i put on his helmet um i wish there were cell phones back then i could have gotten a pick but uh Anyway, so I was a ball boy, you know, for numerous years and, uh, and a big Hopkins fan. You know, going to a Hopkins game was like going to a Notre Dame football game, mm -hmm. right? A lot of pride, a lot of tradition. They had their own band that would play after every goal. Their own song. Yep. Yeah. So um, that was great. And, you know, I, I went to boys' Latin school. 
Um, I had a teacher in third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade who um, he became our coach. He was uh, an assistant varsity coach. He was a great guy. Like, we loved him. And um, we would go to our class, and everyone that played lacrosse would go to every home and a lot of times away boys' Latin game. So boys' Latin was great. I, I can remember all the players. Like, the 64 team won the MSA championship. The 66 team won the MSA championship. Um, all right, just remember, I'm a Calvert Hall guy here. I know right, that. I can, I can Cal- only take so much boys' well, Latin you were former coach okay uh mike thomas was an outstanding player at boys latin he was a great player and his younger brother jack thomas i think is one of the best players to ever play lacrosse he was at boys latin in middle school i don't know why but he left and went to towson high school his dad was the legendary towson high school coach so he probably recruited him away but he was a great player at Hopkins and, um, you know, really fun to watch. I thought it was a really fun story when we were talking the other day about going to the Hopkins games as a ball boy. And I think here where you mentioned you got to watch the best coach ever warm up a goalie in the best way you've ever seen. Could you quickly just yes. fascinated me? Because yes. I take a lot of pride in warming up my goalies. So okay. Talk well, to me about this. Yeah, I mean um, – Joe Callen, who I mentioned previously, uh, great player at Hopkins. He coached, he coached for Hopkins for 20-some years. Um, he was the best I've ever, ever seen at warming up a goalie. Um, all the sticks back then, they were plastic. The plastic stick came out in 1971, and they were a mustard color. He had a day-glow green STX stick, <laughs> right? And... Um, he would literally stand like right out by the restraining line and like every shot was like perfect okay he get, he had a whole routine with the goalies he never ever missed the goal never right and he he could put it wherever he wanted and then at the end and we're talking about warming up like Larry Quinn US team goalie less Matthews less uh, U.S. team goalie Kevin Mahan, right? Like really good like goalies, legends of, game, right? legends of the game, like first team All Americans. So he would he would go through the routine, and then, you know, just to keep him honest, like the last couple shots, he would just like bury in the top <laughs> corner, right? With tremendous velocity, right? So I'm not overstating this. He was great, and there were people that would go to the game early to not miss him warm the goalies up he was an attraction that's great right so uh what the heck brought you to philadelphia how'd you get here well um i went to blue ridge school near charlottesville virginia i graduated uh from college i went to washington college should i talk about washington college briefly okay um Washington College was was a very good D3 program. Like, we had fantastic players. And um, I just want to kind of make a point that, like, how teams change. My first game in college was against Syracuse. We beat them 24 to 2, okay? (laughs) The whole Syracuse team was made up of Native American Indians, like Freeman, Bucktooth, and all these guys. 
And, um, you know, obviously that program has come a long way. So, Bill, you went to Loyola. We beat Loyola my sophomore year 33-2 to two at Loyola. All right, this guest is done. It's okay. Gone. Have you heard enough? We did the boys okay. Latin thing, and now we're yeah. doing Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, in, in 1976, uh, Washington College beat Hopkins. Okay, that was the last time they played. But Washington College played uh, W&L, who was stacked back then. They were, you know, like Skip Glickfist, Teddy Bauer. You could go on and on. Um, that team has like four or five uh, Hall of Famers. Um, so it was just, it was interesting how like Washington College would play those teams, right? So anyway, I graduate from college, go back to Blue Ridge School, um, to coach lacrosse and um, I wanted to be a teacher coach that was kind of my my vision and um, there was not an opening at that time and I got a job opportunity uh, back in Baltimore working for a political campaign so I go back to Baltimore and um, settle into my my new job and like two days later, I get a call from Blue Ridge School. They had an opening for me. And uh, so I declined. I said, look, timing's not right now, but, you know, thank you very much anyway. Um, so um, I worked in Baltimore. My best friend, David Semft, who I grew up with in Roland Park, he's still my best friend. Um, he also is a guy that has a great passion for lacrosse. He, he went to Gilman. He was um, an all-metro player his senior year. Uh, they won the state championship his senior year. Um, he went to Virginia, played uh, at Virginia for four years, had a great career. By the way, back to WNL, like WNL's not that good now, but his Virginia teams, they were 0-4 against WNL. Okay, that's how good WNL was. So um, he moved um, here to Philadelphia. Okay, he started working for an insurance company, and I was getting a little itchy. I had a girlfriend in New York. I had my best friend in Philly. Um, I loved growing up in Baltimore, but I, I kind of was thinking, you know what? I want like a bigger, you know, I want to live in a bigger area, bigger little, little little faster, more going on. So I moved here. Um, I interviewed with some banks. In the meantime, I uh, worked at a restaurant. I was a bartender, general manager. Um, of course, I played lacrosse. <laughs> I played for uh, this team uh, called the Mile Post Inn. Great guys, not a good team at all, <laughs> right? But you know what? I was with my best friend, Dave Semft, and we ended up living together uh, in Society Hill. Nice. So, um, and that was close to 40 years ago. I mean, I can't believe I've been here <laughs> yeah. as long as I have. So, well, it, I was going to say the rest of it's in the notepad, it looks like. So, we'll get to the next 40 years. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think one of the defining moments it happened when Eagle's Eye began and Bob Birch comes along. And I think this is a good story because not, not every young man and woman who tries out for their teams makes it and sometimes that presents a new possibility in life a new direction and so would you mind sharing the story of how eagle's eye began and bob birch rolls into your life and john linehan kind of does you dirty but in turn he does you a great favor which leads to the new direction of your life as a gm for boy so many different teams and the country 
so what happened was um, uh, Eagle's Eye, uh, a designer and manufacturer of women's sweaters and sportswear, became the new sponsor of the Philadelphia Lacrosse Club. And um, um, I actually um, had an opportunity to meet Bob Birch. Uh, Bob was a very good player at Haverford School, very good player at Denison uh, University. And um, we got along very well. And that led to him um, hiring me to work for Eagle's Eye in a, in a sales capacity. So, and I also was kind of the guy in charge of the club team. And um, our team was okay. Um, we had some good players, but, but honestly, we were not competitive with um, like the really good teams in Baltimore. So we decided that uh, we needed a new coach. So um, Bob was like, well, who do you think we should get? I said, I think we should talk to John Lenahan. He's an outstanding coach at Lower Marion High School. So I get John on board, right? He's excited. Bob's excited. We have tryouts. And um, John comes up to me and he goes, listen, Hup, I got to tell you something that you don't want to hear. Um, I don't need you as a player, right? And, uh, you know, I, I know you don't want to hear that, but I, I would love to have you as the general manager of our team, right? So I actually was a little taken back. I wasn't happy to hear that and because I wanted to play. Um, I was 31, but I, st I still thought I could play another couple years. Anyway, um, he told me otherwise. So the, the next day after thinking about it, I called John. I said, I'm in, right? And, um, you know, so John, I give him a lot of credit because he, he put me on a new and different path, right? And uh, I loved working with him. He, he was a great coach. He was so organized and had a very strong presence, very strong. And um, we, had, we had good players. We, we recruited more players. Um, we got competitive. Uh, we started to beat teams in Baltimore that we never came close to beating before, right? So we really moved the program forward. Uh, John was the coach uh, from 1985, uh, 85, 86, 87. He was uh, the USCLA coach of the year in 86. And um, he did an amazing job. So, uh, and John is, is, is a good friend um, today. Um, I have great respect for John. So that story really rolls us into our second quarter here kind of a history of Philadelphia lacrosse back when. And, and you mentioned the USCLA, and that was the men's league from, what well, boy, the whole East Coast, really from Virginia and up, right? Yes. And then the players in this league were mind-blowing. So I was just going to read quickly for our listeners. This is before the MLL. I mean, this is the 1996 Chesapeake Toyota Lacrosse Club out of Baltimore's starting um, roster. Quint Kessenek, goalie. Steve Kesslinger, defenseman. Chuck Bresci, the head coach of Carolina, defenseman. Mark Millen, all everything, all-world attackman. Brian Kelly, all-American defenseman. Kip Falks, founder of Under Armour, right? Yes. Yeah, amazing. Paul Gate, John Tillman, the head coach of Maryland. Gary Gate, Steve Covett, 
the Canadian famous wings player still involved in lacrosse out west, Tom Marichek, all world everything attackman out of Syracuse, the wings and more, all the way down to Brendan Kelly and Ryan Wade. I mean, the amount of all world players, all Americans, Team USA, Hall of Famers on that list from one club team. Right. I'll take that club team against any MLL team ever. Just stunning. And you were the general manager of this entire league eventually. I was the, I started out as the vice president of the USCLA, and, and then I became the president of, of the USCLA. We had a great group of people. We worked very well together. We were, we were very uh, focused on building our brand and um, making sure, we knew we had great players, but we, but we wanted um, players that, that were going to represent the game, right? And um, we wanted role models for youth players. Um, so it was, it was a great experience. Um, you know, we made sure every team had their own helmets, great-looking uniforms, uh, our USCLA shield uh, sticker on the helmet, right? Um, so we really kind of we cleaned things up, right? Um, you know, it wasn't like going to a game and, and you'd see like 18 different pairs of lacrosse shorts. Everybody looked uh, professional, right? So it was, it was a lot of fun, right? Again, there were challenges, um, but, but I enjoyed it. I'm going to take another look at this article uh, you guys had on the table when we walked in here. It's a Philadelphia MAB from the paper in 1994. Also, the program Coach Leahy read out of, I was there that day as a young lacrosse fan. I actually bought a shirt uh, in a program. It had autographs all over it. So a uh, great walk down memory lane so far. But as we look at the Philadelphia MAB team here, I know you were a GM. Can you talk about some of the guys that were the best players in Philadelphia? And a lot of these guys went on to stay in the community and are a reason the Philadelphia lacrosse area is a hotbed now, right? A lot of great coaches. Yeah, Marty, that's that's a significant point, okay? Um, our teams were stacked, okay? <laughs> if you did not have a stacked team, you were going to get hammered, sure. okay? Because every team was stacked. Um, you know, you're talking about Team Toyota, Mount Washington, Maryland Lacrosse Club, Green Turtle in the north, uh, Long Island Lacrosse Club, um, Nyack Lacrosse Club. A lot of good, a lot of good players. A lot of good players. Okay, uh, on our team, um, you know, we had many great players. Um, we had Zach Colburn, who was a three-time U.S. Men's Team player. We had Tony Resch, who was um, a U.S. Team player. Um, we had uh, Greg Trainer, who was a U.S. team player. We had Kevin Finneran, who was a U.S. team player. Um, we, ha we had a lot of good players. Timmy Goldstein was a U.S. team player. Oh, goodness. Um, we had um, a lot of other good players. You know, G.T. Cargan was a very good player, okay? Um, and it was, it was a really great group of guys, okay? John Beezer. Uh, wasn't a U.S. team player, but like John Beezer um, kind of redefined the position of long pole. When I was the coach at GA and had to play against Haverford, he'd score like three or four goals on us. 
clearing the ball. I'm like, I've never seen that happen before, right? Anyway, he he really revolutionized that position. And, um, you know, when John was at Virginia, he was a two-time uh, All-American. And over four years, think about this, he's, he scored 20 goals and had 10 assists, 30 points as a long pole. Yeah. Right? That's, That's pretty impressive. So I, I will always consider John a great player. Um, and you've got the Radner mask on today, and Coach Beezer is uh, Coach <laughs> yes, Radner High School. Yes, yes. No, John, is he's a good friend. We have a lot of good history together. Um, after he played for Eagles Eye, he was a coach for Eagles Eye for four or five years, and a, and a very good coach, too. So that was kind of his launching pad experience. That's great. And Huff, the amount of guys in this picture, right, who went on from this team to coach. Yes. I mean, John Nostrand, the Haverford School, Tony Resch, Penn Charter, LaSalle, Chris Bates has been on the show, John McAvoy at Malvern. I mean, right. we could keep going here. This is a <laughs> yes. long list. Yes. You know, like Chris Flynn, he didn't coach high school lacrosse, but he was a very good youth coach. Scott Gabrielson, very good youth coach in the Westchester lacrosse program, right? So I really think that um, the fact that those guys stayed around and became great high school coaches, I think it really evolved the high school game in Philadelphia. It, it, it took our game to a whole nother level. So speaking about the USCLA, how about some of the great games we had? With Eagles Eye and Mount Washington Lacrosse Club, maybe you could talk a little bit about Mount, Mount Washington and yeah. at least one of one of the top one or two games that you experienced. I know I was in a handful, but boy, it was amazing to look at who was out there playing against each other. And these games were a bloodbath. So yes. can we take you back to a sure. memory or two? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, growing up in Baltimore, I loved playing Mount Washington. Uh, by the way, the Mount Washington Lacrosse Club um, started in 1904. Um, so a long, deep history. Um, and, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, when you went to a Mount Washington game on a Friday night versus MLC, or let's say it was the club championship game versus Long Island, there would be five or 6,000 people at the game, right? I'm not exaggerating. Fantastic atmosphere and and the skill level was extraordinary um when when we would play mount washington um we had some really great games against them uh there's one story that i'm going to tell you we had a great player on our team john mcavoy who currently is a great coach at malvern prep he went to villanova no one really knew much about villanova lacrosse no one had ever heard of john mcavoy and uh dave petromala um who was it was mount washington's best defenseman and probably you know top two top three defensemen to ever play the game he has an iso situation behind the goal against john mcavoy and uh, he had no idea who john mcavoy was John McAvoy, like, juked him like uh, Mike Sowers, right? <laughs> and went right around the goal and dunked him. And everyone was like, who, like, who is that guy, right? Um, and uh, anyway, we, we had 
guys from Philly that that they were all about Philly pride and and they were you know some of those guys okay they didn't go to Virginia or Hopkins so they were lesser known players but they were good right and they wanted to prove a point um Scott Grownie was a very good player a midfielder he was all club a couple times he was a very good shooter um but yeah we know we had great games um we you know we had some tough games too in in 1989 we were 10 and 2 we played mount washington home and away we beat them both we played long island and beat them we play mount washington in the playoffs and we lost right so Mount Washington plays Long Island for the for the club championship. Two teams uh, that we beat, Long Island won. But that was a that was a tough pill to swallow. You know, we were we were loaded. That was kind of our year. But you know what? It it didn't happen. But um, we still we still had a, a great season, and uh, we had great players. But we had great they were great people too. You know. We had a lot of fun together. Yeah, I often tell and say to Tony Resch, like looking back, and our other teammates, John McAvoy and um, no, Johnny Nostrand, that boy, they were special times just to be together, and you didn't even know they were special. It's not until you look back right. today that right. you say, what an amazing group of people and lacrosse players enjoying the game just for the sake of the game. Right. And then, you know, as the MLL grew and times changed, it all faded away, but it was as good as it came during its time. We used to um, practice in Chestnut Hill at the Water Tower Recreation Center, and um, I used go to Rosebuds. Yes, well, I used to keep the goals there. Right, the guy that was in charge, he was like, "You can just keep them here. That way, you don't have to drag them here every week." So I would get there early, set the goals up, right, and um, guys like never wanted to miss practice. If if We'd have like 26, 27 guys come to practice, okay? And the drills were very good. Um, and then we'd go full field, and the guys would go at it hard, right? And then at the end, you know, um, you know, we'd bring the team in. Bob Moncalusi was, was a coach. Hank Resch, Hank was a very good coach also. Um, and um, – Everyone had to go to this bar, which was like uh, 40 yards away, called Rosebuds. It was, it was mandatory, right? <laughs> uh, I would even make uh, John Beezer go, uh, knowing that he was only going to order a cranberry and soda. Um, but no, no the, the guys would go, and the, we were there for two hours, right, uh, on a Thursday night. And then the younger guys would take off and, and go into Conshohocken. Right. <laughs> Part uh, two. Yeah, I would go home, but uh, the party continued. So we had a lot of fun with each other. Yeah, and I walked to that practice. I lived in yeah. Winmore, so I would walk to practice, yeah. go out with yeah. you guys, and I'd walk on home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we were lucky. We had lights, and it it was a a good uh, a good venue for yeah, us. You call those lights? Couldn't see a thing. Out I, know. <laughs> I know. We'll move on to our third period here. Uh, something we've titled "Serving the Game, Serving Others." Uh, we'll talk about your service to U.S. Lacrosse. Uh, I first met Hup when I was in high school, uh, and I was in his store, Competitive Edge in Wayne. So when I think of his service to the game, it was really as you know the main lines resident lacrosse expert, and uh, all of his work since then, just being a huge fan. But 
looking at your resume and your service to Team USA. Uh, it's something I certainly didn't even know about you, um, you know, as I got to know you. So tell us about that, gold medals uh, and the international experience. Well, I was uh, very fortunate to have uh, a mentor. His name was uh, Nolan Rogers. He was the general manager of the Maryland Lacrosse Club. And um, we got along really well. And um, he had been the general manager of the U.S. team for, I think, three times. And he was stepping down, and, and he, he came up to me, and he said, I'm going to recommend you, okay? And I'm going to stand by you. So... I'm going to help make this happen for you. And, and he did. And he did, right? Um, so he was, the last time he was the general manager was um, 1998. I was his assistant. Uh, Bill Tierney was the head coach of the team, okay? Um, and the games were played uh, in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins, so that was in, that was a, a great experience for me, you know, particularly since I grew up five minutes away, right? It, it, wow. it, it made it easy. And, uh, you know, my family and friends came to the games, and it was just a, it was a great experience. Um, so. So gold medals in 1998 and gold medal the following four years later? And then yes. silver medal in 2006. Yes, yes. Um, so I, I don't know when, but we should probably talk about the gold medal game in 1998. Oh, I got, I'm ready. I'm ready for you here. Okay. So you want to go there? We, we can do that since, <laughs> since we're <laughs> I'd love to hear. We're there. Right. right. So let's start with the 1998 then, because 1998 yeah. exhibition story, which you told me, I thought was fascinating. So Team USA yes. is selected. They go up to Connecticut, play an exhibition game, give it to the All-Stars from Connecticut, and then take it from there. Okay. So it was rare to have two exhibition games in the same weekend, okay, particularly in two different locations. So um, we, the team traveled to uh, New Canaan, Connecticut. We had to be there at like 12 o'clock for a youth clinic. There were like 500 kids. And then that night we played the Connecticut All-Stars, okay? And there was a nice crowd there. Uh, we beat them up pretty good, to be honest with you. It wasn't really much of a game. Um, but they had uh, a player on their team, Jamie Hampford, uh, from Connecticut, who played at Loyola, long stick, face-off guy. He literally won every face-off against, against, against the U.S. guys. And um, so the, the, after the game, I went up to him and I said, hey, would you be interested in playing against the U.S. team tomorrow again in Philadelphia? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I'm there, right? <laughs> Um, because we had organized, you know, the second exhibition game to be played at uh, uh, Villanova University. So the guys, the U.S. team, Jamie Hamford, everyone drives to Philly either that night or early the next morning. Um, the exhibition game was sponsored by the Philadelphia Lacrosse Association. We had a lot of great people involved, right? And, you know, the goal was to not be like the Connecticut team, put the best team together, right? So we we had like a group of guys and we had like great players from Team Toyota. Uh, Dan and Sean Radaball played, Kip Folks. Um, our team was very good. We had um, um, Dave Stilley on defense, Kurt Lunkenheimer who played 
uh, at Princeton, second-team All-American. Still, he was a first-teamer at Duke. Uh, G.T. Corrigan played, uh, Timmy Goldstein. So Hank Resch was the head coach. John Beezer was a coach, right? So um, to be honest with you, the U.S. team coaches didn't really think about the game much, you know, because of Connecticut, right? So before the game, like three hours before the game, Bill Tierney's in the locker room, and um, he comes up to me and he says, Hup, can, can you give me the roster of who we're playing? And I handed him a, our program. We had a, like a really nice spiffy program with advertisers and lots of good information. So he's sitting there and he's, he's looking at the roster, right? And then he looks up at me and I can't tell you exactly what he said, but <laughs> he said, um, are all these guys really coming, right? And I said, yes, they are, including Jamie Hampford, right? <laughs> I was wearing two hats because I wanted to be part of a great event and I wanted to challenge the U.S. team, right? Like a blowout wouldn't help the team, right? Yeah, you got to get beaten and, somewhere along the way. And somewhere. it wouldn't help the fan base. So anyway, um, Tierney immediately puts his uh, game face on. He's like very focused and... Um, so the game starts, and it, it doesn't go well. Um, the Philadelphia All-Stars were up by a couple goals at halftime. He takes the team, again, this is at Villanova, he takes the team over by the scoreboard, like away from people, and lines them up and just goes off, right, on how poorly the team is playing. And he was not happy. Um, anyway, the second half, would play the second half, and um, uh, the Philadelphia All-Stars won the game by a couple goals, right? So um, Tierney wasn't happy, but he totally turned it into a positive, right? And that was the only game the 1998 team lost, okay? Um, so, and it was great for Philadelphia too, because it, it, again, you know, just like the Eagles Eye teams, the, you know, the MAB Philadelphia lacrosse teams, like it, it just um, created uh, positive attention, you know, for Philadelphia lacrosse, right? It, it really helped with respectability. Because um, when I first got to Philadelphia, there was, there was not a lot of respect for the level of play, you know, at the club level, you know, high school level. There were some good teams, but there weren't that many, right? So... Anyway, it was a good day for Philadelphia lacrosse. And, um, and then from there, we went to the Naval Academy for our training camp, and, and uh, the coaches did a great job. And uh, so we go to Hopkins. Um, I'm going to talk about the championship game. You bet. Okay? That would be great. Which many consider to be the best game ever played. Um, it was interesting. It was, it was a Saturday night. The place was packed, like 10,000, 12,000 people. People wanted to see a good game. They, they were there, okay? And a lot of people in Baltimore, they know the game pretty well, right? They know what they're watching. They know what to expect. So the game starts, and um, it's very one-sided. It's, it's um, 11 to 1 uh, midway through the third quarter. and um, Advantage Team USA. Advantage the U.S. team, yes. Yeah, so like Canada was not playing well. 
and they they were stacked trust me they you know they were stacked they had john grant jr they had john tavares they had tom marichek they had um both gates gary gate paul gate right they were they were loaded um anyway so the crowd like i couldn't believe it the crowd starts rooting for canada to to like because they wanted to see a good game and then there was a whole group of people that left the game they went over to the hopkins baseball field there was this great bar that was set up called the territory beyond where everybody went after the game to throw back a few beers everyone bolted from the game right and they're over there like drinking they're like the u.s team has this you know boring game disappointed right so again it's 11 11 1 right and the next thing you know like a complete turnaround canada totally ramped it up and um bill tierney was going crazy you know he's (laughs) upset at the players he was upset with the international uh officials who often had you know, different interpretations of the rules, right? Um, I just remember watching him when Canada was making its comeback. We had like a whole stack of green Gatorade cups, and he, I was watching him like crush the cups, <laughs> like one after another, and throwing them on the turf. There were like 40 of them. He was really upset. And uh, so, anyway, um, Canada roars back. They tie the game 13 to 13. They actually had a point blank shot on goal, and our goalie, Sal Lacasio, made a fantastic one on one save. They could have won the game. They could have won the game. So, anyway, I, I was like, I loved observing Tierney like in the locker room during timeouts. I just thought he was, had a fascinating personality, right? And I really enjoyed working with him. Anyway, so so we have a timeout, like a two-minute timeout, and uh, and he gets everyone together, and it was like a switch got turned off. And he became like, he was so composed and so confident, right? And the players were rattled, and, and he got rid of all that. You know, he, he just kind of reinstilled confidence and guys this is this is what we practice this is what we're going to do now right and guys listened and they they became confident and they they just kind of forgot about the the Canadian comeback right anyway I was so impressed with the timeout right because I I was I witnessed two completely different personalities but it was a great timeout and um then the U.S. team, uh, we played two periods, and uh, we won 15-13. to 13. Uh, Ryan Wade, great player, who went to Carolina. He was a very good face-off guy, too. He scored the winning goal, right? So it was unbelievable. Like, um, I had never been through a game like that. I was exhausted. Everyone was. It was um, really, really something. Um, by the way... All those people that were at the territory beyond <laughs> came back to watch the game, right? And importantly, root for the U.S. team, okay? 
anyway, it was a great night. And those names you rattled off, we just rattled off on the rosters of the USCLA club teams. Sal Acasio, Ryan Wade. Yes. Well, on, on the U.S. team, um, Zach Colburn was on that team. Billy Miller, right? Great Another player. Eagles Eye guy. Great player. Uh, Episcopal. Uh, Billy, you know, he went to Hobart. I'm pretty certain he won four straight national championships at Hobart. Never lost a game. Um, Greg Trainer was on that team. Kevin Finneran was on that team. So really great group. Really great group. But then in 2006, you go on and lose. Well, two. Right, two, you win another gold. Won another gold. That was So we went to Perth, Australia. Long way to go. Um, lots of logistical challenges, but you know what? It worked out, right? Anytime you go to another country and you're that far away – you know, be ready for anything, okay? And you had to be like a, a solution-oriented thinker, right? Proactive, fix problems quickly. Um, one of the things I'll tell you is the first night we got there, we had dinner in this, we, we stayed at this beautiful college and we're in the dining room. It was like right out of Harry Potter, the most beautiful woodwork and stained glass. It was great. But the food was terrible. I, I, I still don't know what the heck they served us. But the food was not good. The guys immediately started to complain. Um, so the next day, we were like, we got to fix this problem. <laughs> we had a meeting with the kitchen staff right away. Uh, completely changed the menu. Changed how they cooked things, right? So we turned it around. We, tur- we, we turned a negative into a positive, Okay. Um, so Jack Emmer was the head coach, um, loved working with Jack, like a legend, total legend, right? right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the, one of the winningest coaches in NCAA history. He was the coach of those great WNL teams that we've mentioned tonight. And then he was a great coach at West Point. So he was a fantastic coach of, of the U S team. Um, Mike Pressler was one of the assistants. So Mike played for Jack at WNL. Okay. And I had never met Mike Pressler before, but like we, we hit it off very well. He was just a fantastic person and a great coach. And we had another coach who was fantastic, Ray Rostan, who was the longtime head coach at Hampton, Sydney, right? Great guy. Anyway, um, the makeup of the team was different because of the MLL. Um, we only had two, we had two MLL players that decided not to play in the MLL so they could play for the U.S. team. Darren Lowe and his brother Kevin, right? Kevin was a great player at Princeton. Darren was a great player at Brown. Um, they were fantastic leaders. And um, we had an, another player who was fantastic, younger, Ryan Boyle had a, an amazing tournament and um he was just like his game ascended to a whole another level um he was fantastic as as a passer as a goal scorer um mike powell was on the team the 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 the, the, the huge stud though was uh doug shanahan who went to hofstra right and uh graduated uh the year before 2001 um, he won the Tour Award, right? And he 
like no one from around the world had ever really seen anyone like him. He was an amazing athlete. He played football um, at Hofstra. He tried out for some NFL teams. He was really great, really great. But Canada was was very good. Uh, Paul Gate played. John Tavares played. Their goalie, Chris Sanderson, who he went to Virginia. He played. He was very good goalie. They had a very good faceoff guy. And uh, it was it was a battle. You know, the championship game was was another one of those battles, gut wrenching at times. And we won uh, 18 to 15. And uh, it felt good. You know, we were we were happy. It was a great accomplishment because our our team was was younger, you know, than than previous uh, U.S. men's national teams. So that was a great experience. Um, but then they get you in 2006. In 2006, we go to London, Ontario. Um, John Desco was the head coach. Um, we had a team of great players, but we didn't have a great team. Guys honestly didn't play well together. I think the coaches struggled to have a synergy with each other. Uh, we beat Canada in the round robin game in, in overtime. And uh, we play them in the championship, and they win uh, 15 to 10. Um, they were very, very good. And, um, you know, they attacked us. They, they, they were relentless. Um, they moved the ball well. They shot well. They literally carved up our defense. Um, you know, they just they had a lot of good players, and they, were, they all played great at the same time they were the better team okay and uh you know maybe you know some other guys should have been on that team right um but it was a learning experience um there were a lot of changes you know made to the selection process after that and um you know there was more of a focus to let's put the best team together and not get focused on how good somebody was in college, right? So it was, that was a tough pill to swallow. That was my last time as the GM, but uh, I chalked it up as, as a great experience. I learned a lot, right? You know, learning's important, right? Even when it's difficult. Um, you know, that was, you know, that was a, that was a tough one. So anyway, but I feel very grateful to have been part of three teams, to have won two gold medals. Like, like all three teams were uniquely different. The coaching staffs were different. You know, I, I bonded with the coaches. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to represent your country. Bill Leahy knows what it's like to wear some U.S. team swag and, and – uh, <laughs> You know, the, the other thing that's interesting is, like, other countries, you know, like Australia and Sweden and Japan, and, like, they have great respect for the U.S. teams, right? Like, they, they, they come up to the players like they're movie stars, right? Like, they idolize the U.S. team players. They do, right? And, and a lot of them don't like Canada, and we like that too, right? So, <laughs> you know... Perfect. They, they like it when, when we beat Canada. So, um, hey, I personally played against Canada uh, six times. So, 
five and one record. All right. Okay. That's nice a good spot to cut exactly. You're a fascinating insights, Hop, and you're a great storyteller. All right, Hop. Our final quarter here is like a look at Philly lacrosse over the past forty years and up until today. So, take us back to the 1980s when you started coaching at Germantown Academy. What did lacrosse look like in Philly back in the 80s? Well, uh, Germantown Academy was was a program that was really hurting. Um, a friend of mine uh, talked me into applying to be the head coach there, and um, so I ended up taking that position. I was the head coach 1981-82. Um, the previous season, there were 13 guys left on the lacrosse team. Like, everyone quit. Um, there were problems, uh, you know, with the previous coach, and uh, it was not a good situation. So, um, myself and an assistant, great guy, uh, Paul Hagen, uh, started to rebuild the program. Uh, the other thing that we did was uh, a guy named Alex Henry, a coach, um, teacher coach at GA, uh, started the middle school program. And, um, you know, that proved to be very successful. Um, actually, when those guys, you know, became juniors and seniors, they won two state championship games. And that, that was a, a significant accomplishment. Uh, our varsity team, um, we struggled. Um, we didn't have a lot of athletes. Uh, Penn Charter was stacked. They were very, very good. They had Peter Ortali. Um, they had uh, a goalie, uh, Joe Donnelly, who went to Navy, was an All-American. And they were just bigger, stronger, tougher than, than we were. They had a great coach, too, a guy named um, Joe Perrott. He was an English teacher. He had a big presence. Um, super nice guy. A lot of respect for him. He actually um, sadly passed away uh, four or five months ago. But they were very, very good. Um, Episcopal was very good. They had Chris Flynn, okay? I mean, you don't need much more than Chris Flynn <laughs> on a team. You know, Chris Flynn was um, an amazing athlete amazing athlete and um you know he single-handedly could turn a game around so they were very good um Haverford School uh they were good too uh I mentioned John Beezer earlier you know he was good for a hat trick every every game just clearing the ball um he was a very good player they had other very good players too Malvern Prep um, was was not good to be honest with you. Um, we had close games with Malvern Prep. They they went either way. Um, you know we were improving. We just didn't have like again the athletes and 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 we didn't have the the, the guys that um, you know had been playing lacrosse for more than a couple years. But you know what? Great kids. Uh, we improved as a program. Uh, it was a great experience for me. Um, I left to um, uh, work in New York with Eagle's Eye. Uh, Ted Haney came in and uh, later became the athletic director. It did a, did an amazing job uh, as as the lacrosse coach at GA. Took the program to another level. Um, so uh, it was a good experience for me, for sure. Um, Let's see. Other teams, um, you know, we didn't play Lower Marion. They would have been a little too much for us, to be honest with you. Um, 
John Lenahan was a fantastic uh, coach at Lower Marion. So, I mean, overall, you know, there were some good teams, but not that many. Not that many. Um, Penn Charter was very good. This was before my time. They were very good in the in the uh, like the mid to late seventies. Um, they had uh, Bob Aiken. Um, they had his brother Mark. So Mark's son is Doc Aiken, and um, they had another guy, uh, Joe Happy, who was a very good football player. He went to Georgia, and he was Herschel Walker's main blocker he was an offensive lineman a tackle um anyway those three guys played attack together and uh joe perrot called them the elephant attack because <laughs> they were all like six four six five huge guys right that would just like trample over people to get to the goal um abington was very good back then. Uh, Ron Forrester was a very good player. Um, Robert Ambler was a very good player. Um, they had other good players too. Um, so, you know, but other than the teams that I'm mentioning, you know, uh, like the public school teams weren't really on the map yet, to be honest with you. Uh, Radnor, Conestoga, etc. cetera. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of room for improvement, that's for sure, and growth. So when I move to Philly from Baltimore, I would hear people say, well, LaSalle, you're going to start at LaSalle. You're on the wrong side of the river. Just quickly, what did that mean back then? Because I would hear from so many people that, I guess, the Interacts and the Lower Marians, most of them were on the other side of the river. Right. And then the Abingtons, really, and GA was about all there was on the wrong side of the river. And Penn Charter. And Penn Charter. Yes. I actually asked my good friend, that question the other day can you define for me because i'm not from here what does the other side of the river mean okay and he he said it it was it's just those teams you know plus ga i said okay thanks for the clarification now let's talk a little youth league lacrosse so you worked with ashby for years and of course you must have seen amazing young players come all the way through that program and the teams you played against yes so you would have played against abington and the rambo team yes so Talk to us a little bit about youth lacrosse in its glory days and some of the great young men who came through when they were little guys. Yes. Well, Ashby was a fantastic program founded by Norm Trinish. Um, we had a lot of really great people involved, coaches, Tom Pillion, Rob McCallion. I can go on and on. Bob Mongolusi, um, Jason Christmas. Um, we had a great rivalry with Appington. Um we actually beat them three times for uh, the Sepla Championship. Um, so the one time that I was going to, you know, tell you about was when Matt Rambo was in fifth grade. Um, Matt Rambo was very special. Um, he was used to scoring eight or nine goals a game. Um, so before the championship game, we were trying to figure out what the heck are we going to do, right? <laughs> and we had a good team. We had a very good team. So we, we took a player um, named Will McNamara. He was our, he went to Haverford School. He was our best overall athlete on the team. We gave him a long pole and um, in practice, we had him guard all the attackmen in the middies. No one got a shot off, right? He was like very, very good. Anyway, um, we stuck him on Matt Rambo 
and Matt Rambo only had three goals, right? That's like a bad game for Matt Rambo. That's a really good game for a lot of players. But uh, every time Matt went to shoot, um, Will McNamara was in his grill, right? It was a great, great win. Anyway, Abington didn't lose a game uh, after that we, we, until we played him in the eighth grade for the championship again, right? And uh, Will McNamara was gone, but we, we had two other guys that did a great job on that. And um, our, you know what's really great is when, like, y- you have good players, but when they all play really well at the same time. And that's what happened. And uh, we beat uh, Abington and Matt Rambo again, right? So uh, my, my younger son is friends with Matt Rambo, and I'm friends with the parents. And, uh, of course, whenever I see Matt and his parents, I, I bring up those two games in particular, right? And, uh, you know, I can get them going pretty good with it. <laughs> Now, your sons came up to Ashby. They did, yeah. Give so a shout out to your boys and their journey. Yeah, well, they, they had a great experience. My son Riley was uh, the same age as Matt. So uh, Matt was in, in third grade. Matt was on what was called the B1 team, and that was the top level f- of fifth and sixth graders. So he played up, and my younger son, he was a third grader playing for Ashby. Same thing. He played up. So he was on the, the B1 team for four years, same as Matt, right? Um, so, yeah, like, you know, my son Riley, he, you know, he, he loved lacrosse, and uh, he worked hard on his stick skills and shooting, and um, he wasn't the most athletic, but um, he knew how to get open and he knew how to shoot, right? My older son, Hup, was different. I'd say he was, like, more complete, like he he could dodge and um, he loved getting tough ground balls and he loved to ride. I mean, how many lacrosse players love to ride, right? But every he, LaSalle guy loves to ride. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, um, you know, so he 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 enjoyed that. He enjoyed that. So, you know, look, they they both had very successful careers, even though. Um, they were completely different in how they played, right? So, uh, but uh, yeah, they, they have brought a lot of joy to me and my wife. My wife was a, a critical component to Ashby. She was basically the infrastructure. She did all the registration work. You know, we had over 500 players. Um, she handled all the emails, the calls. You know, she did all the stuff no one else wanted to get near. So she was uh, she was a great asset, and um, we just had a lot of fun. And, and you know, like the key is having fun. And our Ashby team, you know, we we were very fortunate. John Nostrant was very supportive of Ashby um, when he was at Haverford School. His his uh, son played Ashby, so he he got us um, uh, the Haverford School fields, right? And which was huge, right? So, you know, Lower Marion High School, where we played before, if it rained, we couldn't use the field. So we had use of, of, of the two turf fields at uh, Haverford. And um, we would have, for instance, uh, extra games. So on a Friday night, we would play Conestoga, right? And because uh, I had a lot of good friends who coached Conestoga, we'd set these games up at Haverford. 
And then um, our house was directly across the street, and we'd have everyone back for a big cookout, right? Nice. Both teams, a lot of fun. And we did that. We didn't do that just once or twice. We did that a lot. And, and it helped bond, you know, the two teams together and a lot of fun. Awesome. So uh, we're going to pick your brain about some high school memories. Um, since we talked about your sons, I know they scored some goals on, on Episcopal in their day because I was coaching. Um, but before I was coaching at Episcopal, could you talk us through um, maybe the, the glory days with Coach Wynn, Brian Doherty, and the Interact, and then, you know, the rise of public school lacrosse and maybe some games that stand out? Yes. Well, um, John Wynn um, w was was somebody that I coached against when I was the coach at GA. I thought John was a great guy. Look, admittedly, he didn't have a strong lacrosse background. However, um, he had a passion for the sport. He read a lot. He went to clinics, right? He was like a sponge. He tried to learn as much about lacrosse as he could. And he just was, he was really good with his players. He was very enthusiastic, very supportive had had great players i thought john was was a fantastic coach um he was inducted into the um you know southeastern pennsylvania lacrosse hall of fame a few yeah. years ago uh, a very deserving candidate um no can't say enough good things about um john Wynn, and and obviously brian doherty was was a great player for him um billy miller um, I mean, he had a lot of good players, Gabby yeah. Rowe, right? So we might rush you through a couple more, a yeah. couple more schools. Um, how about Springfield, Ridley? Who are some, some names? You know, well, you know, Ridley, you know, uh, I have a lot of respect for Matt Flynn, okay? He, he has done an amazing job with um, the Ridley Youth Program. Like when, when Ridley had those great teams in the 90s, like where do you think all those players came from? They came from... Uh, the Ridley Youth Program, right? And uh, Matt Flynn, you know, ha has been very passionate about that program. And um, those guys are taught how to play. They're taught how to be tough, right? They're competitive, you know? They're, they kind of remind me of Canadians a little bit, you know? They're just tough. They have an edge to them. Um, so, you know, it, it's just important. Every good high school team has to have access to a, a youth program, Absolutely. right? You, you got to have those kids coming through for sure. Um, Conestoga, um, the Conestoga youth program, very good program run by uh, a guy named Sandy Herslick, uh, Rob Lord, Bruce Iketa, my good friend Peter Zanino, a lot of good players, a lot of good players, right? And uh, Brian Sampson, the previous coach, has done a great job there. Um, Brody Bush has done a great job. Radner, right? So Peter Sampson, who sadly passed away about a year and a half ago, um, he actually coached in the Ashby program, left to start the Radner Youth Program. Wow. And um, Peter was, was uh, idolized. I mean, he made a huge contribution to the growth and development of lacrosse in, in our area. And, um, you know, John Beezer... W was very close to Peter Sampson and um, Peter's last year um, you know of living he was on the the staff of uh, the Radner coaching staff right which I thought was cool and, and it was so nice of Beige to 
make that happen, right? Um, and John, I think John's been a fantastic coach at Radnor, right? He's got one, you know, state championship under his belt, and um, he's one great. One guy uh, I'm curious about, Hup, would be Johnny Christmas. Um, when he was coming up, you know, what, what do you remember about his talent? You know, John was off the chart talented. You know, he, he was, like, faster and uh, quicker than anybody else. He had uh, amazing stick skills. Um, he was he was a, a fantastic player. And uh, there was another guy that he played with um, named Eric Blindenbacher, oh, right? I remember when he had uh, 52 goals and one yeah, assist Eric, or something. Yeah, Eric <laughs> was a sharpshooter. I mean, he, he played attack. He was very, very good. They were amazing. He was going to go to Carolina, and um, he had, sadly, he had some academic issues, and it didn't happen. But, like, the two of them could really play. They were yeah. both very good. So I'll jump in there. So 1999, we were ranked, like, eighth. They were, I guess, ninth because they played nine in the old system. Right. And we had two guys, one going to defenseman, going to Towson State. He was outstanding, Adam Cummins. And we had beaten them badly during the season. So I didn't love the draw at first. They come to LaSalle's field, and Johnny Christmas is just off the charts. He was not the guy we played in the regular season. And a good friend of all of ours, Brian Harrington, who was coaching with me, calls a timeout. Yes. And I said, Brian, what do you want to say to me during this timeout? Like, this is a strategic moment. The game's, like, tied. And he's like, I'm just letting you know right now that Johnny Christmas has eight goals, <laughs> one assist. Uh, the team has nine total points, of which he's involved in all. And if you haven't figured it out by now, Bill, there's nothing I can do on the defensive end to stop him. So score more goals and Nothing hang else. in there. We end up losing 13-12. Johnny has, like, 10. Just outrageous. And Blindenbacher didn't really have to have a great day. He had a great day during the regular season. But looking over at Coach Linehan and looking at his teams, they were just outstanding. John was a great coach. He was very thorough, and he had a commanding presence. As a high school coach, as a coach for Eagle's Eye, he was truly outstanding. I have great respect for him. Yeah, me too. And when we finally beat them at LaSalle, I think that was 1995, I knew we had arrived. Right. It was beating John Linehan. Right. That I knew LaSalle lacrosse could play with anybody and that we as a coaching staff were up to the task to face somebody like that. Right. So. Pretty cool. All right, Hop. So tell us a little bit about the National Mystical Championships of Haverford School. You had 2011 and 2015, of which you were kind of a part in being a huge fan. So. Um, help us through those two mythical national championship squads. Sure. Um, it's an interesting question. Uh, let me just say right off the bat, no one knows which team is better, okay? Um, <laughs> there are a lot of opinions out there. Um, obviously, I, I know the 11 team very well. Uh, I had a senior on the team, a sophomore on the team. I saw all the games, okay? Saw the 15-team play a lot, and uh, they were very, very good. Both teams were they were well-coached. I mean, John Nostrand, fantastic coach. Mark Patron, fantastic coach. Um, Travis Loving. Um, who am I forgetting? Paul O'Grady, right? I mean, um, my boys were very fortunate to have very good coaches at Haverford, just like a lot of Haverford players. Um, when I think about the, the teams um, and, and, you know, similar and, and uh, what's not similar, to me, the 11 team, they reminded me of a big public school team like Ward Melville on Long Island. They were big 
and very athletic, very tough, very tough, okay? Um, they had uh, five um, key contributors on the football team who went undefeated in the Interact that fall, right? So I would say that physically they were on another level compared to the 2015 team. Um, I would say that the 2015 team had like more polished, maybe some more skill, right? You know, uh, Grant Ament was obviously a very good player, Drew Sapinski, Doc Aiken. Um, but, you know, it, it would be interesting if they played each other. Like, for instance, Goran Murray guarding Grant Ament. Wow, what a great matchup. If you ask Jordy Wolf who was his biggest nightmare in college, he'll say, when we played Maryland, Goran Murray totally had my number, right? Goran was very good against a small, quick guy, not a big guy, right? So th that would be a great matchup, right? You take a guy like Joe McCallion. Joe, Joe was a beast as a midfielder. He could face off. He could play defense. He could score if you needed him to. He was good, really good. And, and there were two, two other guys. Um, one guy who, who didn't get a lot of recognition, who, who I thought was fantastic, um, Grove Stewart. Um, Grove was a midi. And he was a very good athlete. He was fast. He was quick. He was tough, really tough. He went on to play at Harvard. Um, very good player. And, and a guy who I think was one of the best players on the team and, and maybe to play for Haverford, Will McNamara. I mentioned him earlier guarding Matt Rampo in, in the Ashby-Abington game. Will McNamara, first of all, he never got tired. He'd be out there for six minutes come through the box he wasn't even panting okay and he would play short stick midi um there was a guy that would stand in the box so if will had to get back on defense he would hand will his long pole right on the fly right will mcdamara was great he was a he could play close defense right pole um very good player uh two-time uh, high school all-american junior senior year um so Look, they, they had great players. They had great players. They were a great team. Um, I think the 11 team was great. Um, you know, that team was behind uh, six times in the third quarter of games um, against, you know, Malvern, McDonough. They, they had a, um, an overtime win against St. Joe's Prep, right? So they were, they were challenged. They brought the best out in other teams. So... Uh, they were they were they were fun to watch for sure. Well, I hope you continue to have a front row seat for uh, the next chapter of Haverford School Lacrosse. Uh, I'm interested to know your perspective, being friends with Bill and watching the LaSalle program grow over the years, and then some of their standout teams. Well, listen when you when when you start with like coaches like Bill Leahy and Tony Resch, right? You, you have to know that, like, those boys are very fortunate to have two outstanding coaches, right? I mean, Bill is a fantastic coach. I think Tony Resch could be a Division One coach and be extremely successful, an amazing coach, right? Um, I think the two of them work so well together. They have a great natural synergy. Um, 
and they've produced a lot of good players. Like when you think about like Kevin Forrester, Jack Forrester, obviously Matt Rambo, Tucker Durkin, right? Um, a lot of good players, a lot of good players. You know, haven't seen them play that much, you know, compared to like Interact teams, right? Um, I follow the Interact teams pretty closely because of Haverford, but I have great respect for LaSalle, great respect. I mean, and here, here's the thing too, like which, which I think has taken high school lacrosse to a whole nother level in Philadelphia, Haverford, Malvern, LaSalle, they go to Baltimore and play MIAA schools, okay? The 2011 Haverford team played St. Paul's, McDonough, Loyola, scrimmaged Calvert Hall, right? So LaSalle plays MIA schools, right? Um, Episcopal does, right? And, and those teams down there, um, they respect what's happened in Philadelphia lacrosse. Like if they beat a team from our area, it's considered a good win, a really good win. It wasn't long ago where schools from this area couldn't even get, they wouldn't even get a school from the MIA on the schedule. Right. The coach would be like, we don't want to play you. Like the score's like going to be 19 to two. What's the point, right? It's completely different, right? And, and that's why Philadelphia has evolved into a lacrosse hotbed, right? for college coaches. Great walk down memory lane, Hub. So let's bring this to a finish here. This is our little rapid fire NXT homework. Let's go! I'm going to give you a group of our listeners and you're gonna give them your quick homework assignment. So you ready to play? I'm ready. All right, here we go. What homework do you have for young people, players who are listening? My big thing is um, learn great lacrosse stick work mechanics okay there are a lot of players out there you know what they 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 practice but they're not practicing the right thing why because they don't have good mechanics right so you need to you need to be taught by somebody that has good mechanics you need to watch people like mike sowers grant ament etc etc right learn good mechanics it's it's everything and then you're and then you're practicing the right way right spoken after my heart as a true baltimore guy you nailed it up coop we're going to call the show right here that's about all there is all right moving on homework for parents who are listening um enjoy the ride okay it's over before you realize it um I feel very fortunate. I, I had a great ride with my two sons um, and my wife. Um, we, we loved it. But you know what? It's over, and it's sad, okay? Um, so enjoy it. Enjoy it because it, it is very special. It's very special. Um, so And don't take things for granted, right? Just in, enjoy it. Nice. And for coaches who are listening? You know, I, I would say, you know, be, um, again, I'm going to go back to stick work, right? Because I, I think 
guys that have good stick work really have a, an advantage, right? If, if you look at a guy like Steel Stanwick, right? Like his stick work was impeccable, right? Gorgeous. Great, right? Very fluid. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm big on stick work, right? You want to learn how to shoot? You know, get a YouTube of Tom Marichek, easily one of the best shooters ever to play lacrosse. Um, and, 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 and go to games, too. Like, watch good lacrosse, good high school lacrosse. Um, you know, I, I love the PLL, right? Great players. I think Ryan Boyle does a fantastic job as a broadcaster. Um, he's like Tony Romo, right? He freaking... He knows the play. He knows what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, definitely, um, you know, focus on stick work. Um, You know, great stick skills will help a player immensely. And then lastly, I know you're a TV guy, so what are you watching these days? You know, I watch uh, Netflix. Like, my wife and I are hooked. We've been doing a lot of binging during COVID. We... We enjoy that. Um, you know, I like movies. I've watched Gladiator with Russell Crowe like uh, <laughs> 72 times, right? It always uh, ends the same way, huh? Yeah, I love Forrest Gump, right, with Tom Hanks. I love movies like that. Um, you know, so, yeah. Good stuff. Thank you, Chris. It was awesome to see you again and to spend time with you. Definitely a history lesson for all of our listeners. That'll be a wrap from our new next offices here in Conshohocken, PA. For Justin, for Coach Leahy, for our guest, Chris Hupfelt. Thank you for listening. We want you to stay safe, and we'll see you in the coming weeks as we make our way to wrapping up Season 2 of the More Than a Club podcast. Thank you. Nice to work, gang. Puppy the great. <laughs> <laughs>